Good morning. It's Wednesday, July 11th, 2018. I'm James Chow with your weekly podcast. And as always, this episode focusing on the China-United States relationship and what's happening in the world around these two countries. I'm in Hong Kong, but over the past couple of days, I've been in New York for an interactive hearing on non-communicable diseases. Health very much on the mind, but it's always good to be in the States, to be on the ground, to hear what people are talking about in terms of their own concerns and hopes for the China-US relationship. Many people, of course, talking about the trade dispute, or as many more would now call it, a trade war. And that seems to have ballooned overnight. I woke up here in Hong Kong to the headline that the US is to impose tariffs on another $200 billion worth of Chinese imports. And that's going to hit not only hundreds of food products, but also coal, chemicals, vehicle tyres, and also tobacco, which, given the reason why I was in New York, I think is the bright spot in a declining story. Uh, tobacco, of course, affecting and hugely damaging to human health in many different parts of the world, not just in the developed economies, but also in some of the poorest economies as well. <laughs> I'm going to move now to a couple of stories that I picked up from the news over the past seven days. Li Keqiang, the Chinese Premier, and Angela Merkel, the German Chancellor, because they met in Berlin. Together, they represent, of course, two of the select group of biggest economies. China at number two, Germany close by at number four. They have a bilateral relationship that continues no matter what is happening in their own partnership with Washington. But that said, the timing, to use that word again, was especially important. And Michael Kimmich, the Transatlantic Academy Fellow at the German Marshall Fund of the United States, touched on this particular aspect in interviews this week when he talked about the symbolism of these two leaders meeting at this particular time. It's clearly a message in, in two respects. It's a message to Washington that Washington, should uh, China and Germany be successful in this, will be isolated. Uh, but it's also a message that China and Germany are going to uphold a system. It's not just a bilateral deal, but it's a system that they're trying to uphold. Uh, and they see the U.S. as imperiling that system. So it's, it's without a doubt a global message that they were both trying to make in Berlin today. The bigger thinking here is the way that China operates, and this story reveals that China really does rely on long-term partners, partners it feels it can rely on. I think that in Germany, it feels that it has that. German dependency on the American market is quite uh, considerable, and I think that that's true for China as well. There's an added dimension for Germany, which China doesn't have, which is that Germany has a very deep security relationship to the United States. So President Trump will be traveling to uh, Europe this weekend for a NATO summit, and there are some worries in Germany that he'll use that as leverage for uh, economic concessions from Germany. So that's not a Chinese issue, but it's certainly a German one. Let's quickly move on now to Vienna nearby and the Iran nuclear deal, more formally known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, which the United States pulled out of in May. The remaining signatories uh, met in Vienna where that deal was originally constructed. And the Iranians there saying that their main concern was the banking system, insurance and transportation as it struggles against uh, sanctions that have been reimposed by the United States. Of course, Barack Obama in 2015 
uh, putting his name and putting the U.S. name to that deal. Wang Yi, the Chinese foreign minister, revealed a little bit on why China is part of it. If this treaty can't be upheld, then this doesn't just hurt the interest of Iran. It also damages the peace in the Middle East and the credibility of the international world order. That's why we need to think about how to ensure the survival of the deal. Jean-Yves Le Drian, the French foreign minister, also spoke before those talks began. And here's what he said in terms of the warring picture. The sanctions are set to begin in early August with a second wave in November, which we will do our best to prevent. Diplomats say that the Vienna talks ended with success, that there was relief in terms of limiting Iran's nuclear program, in terms of easing the sanctions that Iran is so worried about. And this is going to be a story that the North Koreans are going to be watching very closely. They've struck their own agreement with the United States in the last weeks at their key summit in Singapore, and they'll be seeing how far the Americans will react towards this and what the world's response will be at the same time. And in doing so, trying to understand where it lies in the world today. Last story over here brings us to Hong Kong. Professor Chen Zhewei leads the AIDS Institute at the University of Hong Kong. There's been significant talk this week in the news of a new study published in The Lancet on very promising human trials in the fight against HIV and AIDS. And separately in Hong Kong, there have been separate developments over there. What scientists say they've discovered there is what's been called the functional cure for the HIV virus, an antibody that acts against all forms of HIV. Chen has been describing what this represents, but also in terms of patient delivery and how this will ease up on the huge dosages that some people who live with HIV need to go through each day. We will hope, actually, the antibody can help not only control the viruses in the body, and actually they can help to eliminate already infected cells. We can basically benefit the patient in a way, reduce the cost, and at the same time, you actually can make the drug function longer in the body. Harvard Medical School's Dr. Anupam Jenna has put the Hong Kong study into context of other options that exist currently. I think if it proves to be effective in clinical trials, it would be extraordinarily uh, important. Uh, but it's important to realize that there are already very good treatments that are out there for HIV AIDS uh, that aren't being fully utilized. Um, you know, another, another big economic question will be is whether or not this treatment, if, it's a, if it becomes available and is successful, uh, how fast will it be deployed uh, across the world? Now, there's really important economic considerations that go into, come into play when you're thinking about these novel new therapies uh, that a lot of patients could benefit from, but the prices are often... Uh, too high to get get that access uh, as fast as we'd like. I'll be going to the International AIDS Conference in Amsterdam in just a couple of weeks from now. That begins on July 23rd, when over 15,000 activists will gather there for uh, discussion and action 
uh, both from civil society, academia, governments, UN, and very importantly, the scientists and researchers on the best course of action more than 35 years after 1981. You can add your voice to the discussion. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at China US Focus and ChinaUSFocus.com. Our website is where you'll find an archive of the previous episodes. This podcast is brought to you by China US Focus. Have a great week ahead and speak to you soon.